Hi folks, be sure to visit my website at dr-history.com for a short personal video message, to listen to the latest stories, and to leave a comment. Right now it is Tuesday, and look what the wind blew in. Dr. History, my goodness, how are you? Just great. It's a beautiful day out there, really. Uh, for fall, you know, not bad. You know, honestly, I'm glad to hear you say that, because we were talking about it yesterday, Deanne and I. Uh, we've been out using the horses every day and, and just really enjoying It's not that bad. No, not, not for this bad. time of year. No, no, yeah, no. Nice. What, are, what are we going to talk about okay, this Okay, this is episode number two, oh. Chief Joseph and the Nez Perce Indians. Yes, I enjoyed that last week. So just to catch people up a little bit, uh, kind of a summary, last week we talked about the location <coughs> of the Nez Perce. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. Yeah, so, we both <laughs> had the same thing. <laughs> so if you can picture in your mind this, uh, the groups or tribes of the Nez Perce, which were separated into several groups, Okay, not just one big tribe. Right. Sort of. So. Well, there was a couple of brothers involved. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So if you can picture southeast Washington, that corner, northeast okay. Oregon, right. and central Idaho, kind of in the western side of central Idaho. Kind That's of where. Grangeville this, area? Grangeville, yeah. Uh, yeah. Ranging uh, over to like Joseph, Oregon, and then up, right? Yeah. Okay. So kind of that area there. But so. To catch up a little bit, they uh, they agreed to a uh, to go on the reservation. They agreed with a treaty, so to speak. Some of them did, but uh, originally they had ten thousand square miles uh, of reservation, which was really actually very good. And probably the best reservation yeah. land in the country. Yes, very good. Their hunting grounds, their homeland. But uh, as usual, what happens is the white men came along, they saw that great land and uh, country, and so then they reduced the reservation from 10,000 square miles to 1,000 square miles. Now, were the, were the tribes aware of this when that was a reduced figure? They did, but keep in mind... Uh, there was two groups. There was the treaty groups that yeah. signed, and then the non-treaty groups that did not sign. Okay. But, uh, so, the legal rights of the non-treaty bands were not much concern uh, to the officials. In fact, uh, the governor of Oregon wanted the lower Nez Perce to leave, and the Indian agent for the uh, upper tribes wanted them to come closer, because that's where the... Wait a minute, when you say leave, where did he want them to go? He wanted them to go up uh, uh, north to the northern part of the reservation. I see. He didn't want them in Oregon. So... In 1877, the Commissioner of Indian Affairs asked the General of the Army, and you've heard of this guy, William Tecumseh Sherman, oh boy, yeah. to order U.S. troops to put the non, non-treaty bands on the reservation. Move them out. Get them out of Oregon and up into that uh, treaty area, a reservation. Mm-hmm. Well, that May, General Howard called all of the Lower Nez Perce chiefs to Lapway, instructed them to select land for their bands, and gave them exactly 30 days to move their people. 30, 30 days. days? Now, not just their people, their possessions, their herds to their new homes. And here's what he said. He said, if you are not here in that time, he warned Chief Joseph, he said, I shall consider that you want to fight and will send my soldier, soldiers to drive you on. 30 days, get out of here and get up on the reservation. Where was the advocacy for the Indian tribes? Not much of any, if any. I, although, as things went along, the general public of, you, of America kind of uh, felt sorry for the underdog, the Indians. So as it goes along, the, 
the uh, feelings kind of change a little so bit. So there was no such thing as an Indian agent no. that was working on their behalf. Not really. Yeah. Not really. So anyway, Chief Joseph persuaded the chiefs to avoid bloodshed as long as possible. Uh, though the 30-day deadline was short, they rode south to comply with it as best they could. Now, where was his band, by the way? His was the non-treaty a little further south. Okay. I believe. Now, okay. Uh, I hope I'm not confusing this. But anyway, Joseph's band consisted of a few hundred people, rounded up their nearest horse and cattle herds. The rest they would have to leave behind. Uh, then they dismantled their village and said farewell to the Wallowa Valley. On their way north, they had to ford the Snake and Salmon Rivers. And now, at this time, those rivers were heavy with snowfall. Yeah, I was going to say, what time of the year was this? Uh, let's see. Uh Early in 1877, so I'm assuming like maybe May, Ooh. somewhere like in there. Yeah. So, but they arrived just outside the Lapway Reservation with more than a week to spare, and there they camped with four other non-treaty bands. So you got five non-treaty bands that have complied, yeah. basically. Yeah. Now, all the chiefs and leading warriors uh, met to discuss their predicament, and members of the rebellious cult uh, of the Indians. They kind of made fun of Joseph with charges, calling him a coward, uh, that he uh, was in, uh, foolhardy. Anyway, after the council, Joseph and his brother, Olicut, led a small party south to butcher some cattle that they had abandoned in their move to make the deadline. So, so they left some cattle behind. Basically, the Indians at that time, the Nespers tribe, were living quite similar to what farmers and ranchers were. They did. Yeah. Yes. Now, like I said, the other group, the treaty group, they didn't mind because the the reservation was in their native land, in right. the, where they were living. Right, so, right. so anyway, so I like to say, Joseph and, and his son, uh, brother Olicut uh, went down to get some of the cattle to bring them that they had left. Well, while Joseph was gone, the uh, people started talking of war, and that triggered violence on the band of the 70-year-old chief Whitebird. On June 13th, a young hothead named Wallatitz set out with two companions to avenge the death of his father, who had been killed in a brawl with a white man three years back. Now, what year was this, 1877. So it was a year after the Custer's last stand. Mm -hmm. So anyway, so these guys, the blood... Thirsty trio, trio failed to find the culprit, but they killed four white people, all of whom had committed something against the Indians in the past. So they were just getting revenge, basically. But their triumph, uh, such as it was, uh, encouraged 21 young warriors to stage another mission, and they killed at least 14 whites, and some of them farmers and ranchers. So things are escalating. It's mm-hmm. just not good. Well, the Nez Perce were frightened, too, when Joseph returned to camp from his meatpacking trip. He discovered that many families, fearful of punishment, uh, if they now set foot on the reservation, they were taking down their teepees and preparing to leave. They were afraid to go onto the reservation. Okay? Now, although no member of Joseph's own band had been involved in the killing, but he guessed correctly that individual guilt or innocence doesn't matter to the whites and that General Howard would want to thrash all five of even the non-treaty bands. And the peace-loving chief resigned himself to fighting if the Nez Perce were attacked. So this is what it comes down to. He, he was a peace-loving chief. He didn't want to fight. Yeah. Well, anyway, during the next few days, Joseph urged all of the chiefs to adopt rules for humane conduct in case of war. Stop the young men from killing women or children. Let there be no scalping of the dead or slaying of wounded soldiers. If there was to be savagery in the conflict, let it be done by the whites, not the Nez Perce. 
The chiefs agreed to do their best to keep these headstrong young warriors under control. Now, amidst all this talk of death, one of Joseph's wives brought forth new life. Uh, a daughter was born, his second, uh, just uh, at this time. And it slowed Joseph down as far as being able to join the rest of the, the bands. Because he kind of waited with his wife till she got a little better and stronger. But one of the bands, led by the noted chief, Red Echo, decided to risk the wrath of the whites and go onto the reservation. So he, one of the bands did go onto the reservation. Right. Now, some of Joseph's people left with Chief Looking Glass and camped with his band on Clear Creek. There was Chief Whitebird, and there was a chief uh, named Tuhul Hulzot. With their small band. You want to shoot that one again? No, I don't. Okay. <laughs> anyway, with their small bands, they went to camp on White Bird Creek. And you've heard of White Bird. Yeah, been there and many times. Joseph joined them with the rest of his band and with his wife and his infant daughter. Now, meanwhile, the white authorities began marshalling for- forces to crush the rebels. Okay, now I have a question here. Okay. Uh, what was the main purpose for the government to do this consolidation and cut back on the land? It sounds to me like it was just to provide the land for the settlers. Greed. Greed. Greed, yes, exactly. So, meanwhile, the like I say, the white authorities, they began getting forces together. General Howard ordered all available soldiers to Lapway. So eventually, about 2,000 U.S. soldiers would be brought in from everywhere. And uh, obviously, it sounds like the Nispers really don't have any chance. Yeah. Here you've got a huge, but keep in mind, uh, the nickname of uh, Chief Joseph, Napoleon. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's so right. Uh, keep that in mind <clears throat> as we go along. Here. How well organized back in 1877 were communications between the United States Army and the Indians? I mean, today with the cell phones and the right. drones and everything, we know everybody and everywhere they are. I mean, how did they really keep in touch as to where people were or weren't? You know, that's a good question because some of these soldiers... There was actually an artillery unit from Alaska. There was a regiment all the way from Atlantic, Georgia, that really? came came out to join this this army. Really? So wow. I don't know how you know how they got the word out, and, right. but they did anyway. So that the opinion of General Howard, he wired his superiors, quote, "Think we shall make short work of it." And he quickly assigned missions to the troops already on hand at Lapway, and as a cavalry. Uh, column departed on okay june 15th so middle of the summer under the command of a guy named captain david perry now howard saluted and called to to perry and said you must not get whipped that's what he told the guy well you must not get, get whipped. whipped well perry replied he said no there's no danger of that sir and kind of a little bit of a brash uh kind of guy kind of a general custer uh, attitude kind of so here we have captain perry's orders were simply to protect the refugee settlers who had flocked into grangeville that small town up there in yeah, idaho yeah. okay because they were kind of afraid and this is 50 miles uh southeast of the lapway headquarters but perry learned that joseph uh was encamped at white bird creek and he could not resist a golden opportunity so perry Armed, uh, got his 103 cavalrymen with 11 civilian lo- uh, volunteers and galloped off to punish the, the disobedient bands. Mm-hmm. Well, midnight on June 16th, his men settled down behind a long ridge that overlooked the Indian camp. Yeah. 
Now Perry was. Now, plan- this is on Whitebird, right? Yeah, by Whitebird. Okay. So Perry was planning to take the Nez Perce by surprise at dawn, but the troops soon learned that their presence had been discovered by some young boys that were herding horses. I see. So. At first light on June 17th, Perry deployed his men uh, and sent them uh, to battle. Oh, my. Now, the chiefs in the, in that were camped had only 60 or 70 warriors. Now, we're talking, what, about 150 uh, cavalry men. Yeah, and, roughly, and so, yeah. So, but, Give me a little logistics. Now, the cavalry was up on the hill, yeah, right? Yeah, kind of on a ridge. On the top, looking down into the valley. Right. Okay, yeah. okay, okay, all right. So... There was a Lieutenant Thaler, and uh, he was in command, and he was uh, taking his men, and uh, they fired into the, uh, well, what happened was actually uh, the the Indians came out with a white flag of truce. Oh, they did? They did. Uh, You know, they were carrying this white flag, and they rode up towards the, the cavalry. Well, they shot them. The cavalry they, shot, they shot the Indians them. with the white yeah. flag? Yeah. So hmm. here's a, a chance at peace gone. Yeah. You know? So anyway, so the Nez Perce rifle started firing, and actually Perry's bugler fell dead. Gunfire then became general, and soon the cavalry's second bugler was killed. Now keep in mind, bugling was how they communicated yeah. to what to do. So it left Perry unable to send commands to his men along the strung-out battle line. Well, they knocked troopers out of the saddle with arrows, shotguns, and rifles, old rifles, while the soldiers, actually equipped with the latest arms, uh, sprayed bullets down harmlessly and didn't do hardly any damage. Now, Joseph seems to have been divided his time between fighting on the slope and directing operations in the camp below, where they were packing up and getting ready to leave, obviously, because they were... During this battle. They were, the the women and children and all the, they were trying to pack up to to flee. So, uh, the camp really was in no danger because the warriors were going towards the cavalry. So putting more ground between them, between the cavalry and the actual Give camp. Give me some perspective as to, you've been up Whitebird Hill, I'm sure. Yeah. Where did all this take place? Down in that deep ravine valley, or was it uh, up from the valley on the side of the you know, hillside? I, I really can't tell you. Because I don't know I, either. I've only been there once or twice, yeah. and I so I, I really can't tell you exactly. Okay. So, anyway, so uh, things were going badly for the cavalry, actually. Um, but the uh, this uh, Perry, his uh, flanks were collapsing. Uh, he ordered his center to retreat. His men's horses were plunging and rearing and bucking. And at the height of all this confusion, the warriors actually stampeded a herd of their horses through Perry's center. They had all these horses. They stampeded them through the cavalry. So and the the Indians were they could ride unseen to the sides of the horses. You know how you've seen yeah, pictures of that yeah, firing at the at the cavalry. Yeah. Well, at this point, Captain Perry no longer aspired to win the battle. Yeah, good. He thinking. was now trying to just save part of his men. It was time to get out of Dodge and City. So he managed to retreat. Uh, the Nez Perce formed a large pursuit force, and they followed him for a ways, and then left. Which way did the cavalry go? I, Back now, north, or did they go down I, south? I believe they headed south and maybe east. By the river. I believe so. Okay. Anyway, so, um, anyway, Captain Perry lost. He uh, And not a single Nez Perce had been killed. Not Are a, you not one. kidding me? Wow. And, and well, Pe- wait a minute. You said that the cavalry shot the... Uh, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. They did. They shot, but didn't hit him. I'm sorry. But they didn't kill the white no, flag? No, the, guy, the okay. guys with the white flag okay. were able to get away. But okay. 
Perry lost 34 men, which was about a third of his command. Yeah. Well, for almost a week, the shock of the battle paralyzed the area. The settlers, uh, they were expecting widespread hostilities. They huddled together in the towns. The Nez Perce, uh, they were happy with their victory, but were uncertain what to do next. And they were hungry. They did some pillaging and waiting, waited for the Army's reaction. Now, General Howard uh, taught him never again to underestimate the Nez Perce. So the Indians stayed there. But, yeah, they were starting. They were trying to figure out where to go, which direction. So, yeah. um, anyway, on June 22nd, uh, General Howard mustered a force of nearly 400 soldiers plus 100 supply workers and Indian scouts and led them southward to seek out and crush the breakaway bands. Well, Howard moved slowly to the deserted battlefield at Whitebird, and there he saw the remains of the battle where his soldiers had been killed and, and left. But, um, anyway... Uh, so they started chasing uh, uh, Joseph uh, uh, along the Salmon River. And uh, the Indians had crossed the Salmon River, and when General Howard got there, he saw the Indians on the other side just kind of sitting on the horses, just waiting. Now, these were the warriors. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Are you saying it was a trap? Well, let me keep going. (laughs) So here's Howard on one side of the Salmon River, the Indians on the other side, just beyond rifle range. And uh, this uh, display kind of uh, uh, forced Howard to rethink what's going on. Well, on July 1st, Howard's troops finally crossed the Salmon River, unopposed, nobody on the other side, and followed the bands into the dangerous mountains to the south. Uh, now, the Nez Perce, with their families and the herds, they had actually gone about a 25-mile move in just 36 hours. Now, women and children, old people, and that's in rough country, okay? And a lot of them, I'm assuming, were still afoot. Yeah. So on July 2nd, they recrossed the Salmon River several miles upstream from their first crossing. Now, Howard now was on that side of the river. Oh, yeah, i got to follow this. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So now Howard's on the other side of the river again. And he thought the Indians were on his side of the river. (laughs) Exactly. But when he looked across the river, the Indians had crossed the river, and they were on the side he was originally. Yes. Now, okay, July 7th. Finally, Howard recrossed the Salmon River. Here we go again. At the same spot where he had started his chase six days before. Okay, but where were the Indians? Okay, meanwhile, the <laughs> Nez Perce bands, <laughs> uh, they had headed east, and uh, actually, they stayed on the same side now. I so see. they're on the east I side see. of the Salmon River. So, July 6th, the Indians uh, pitched camp on the south fork of the Clearwater River. Oh, boy. Okay, so that's near the Selway River right. and the Locksaw River over right. in that area. Right. So there they were joined by Chief Looking Glass's band and also by the band of Red Echo, who had uh, heard of the victory at White Bird. Anyway, so now we have the five non-treaty bands all assembled together at peak strength, 150 men of fighting age, plus about 550 older men, women, and children. So okay. you've got a fighting force of 150 men, yeah. warriors. That's They're it. They're trying to also take care of 500 people that couldn't fight. Right, yeah. and protect them. Yeah. So, and, uh, you know, as they went along here, the Indians kind of relaxed. They kind of enjoyed their success, certain that General Howard's uh, was several days' journey behind them. They kind of repaired their equipment, grazed their 2,000 to 3,000 horses and cattle. They had been herding these horses and cattle. Back and forth across the river. Yeah, all along. So They were 
pretty handy. And they they did a few skirmishing to uh, get food and one thing or another. But anyway, the chiefs met and they viewed the situation. But each band had a right to do as it pleased. So the council made no special effort to agree on any course of action. So, so the Indians are sitting there on the Clearwater. Right. And there are 150 Braves, and they're trying to figure out what to do next. Yes, but they can't agree on what to do. So Sounds like the Democratic Party. So they're sitting here, okay, not knowing quite what to do. So now it's July 11th, okay, okay. middle of the summer. We might have to have this serial well, continue. I, I, I'm planning on finishing. Okay. So you, No, don't. don't. We'll do it next week. I want okay. to get this whole okay, thing. Okay, so you tell me when to stop. I'll keep okay. going until you okay, you got wave two, your hand. you got one minute and 30 seconds. Okay, so July 11th, when the Nez Perce uh, encampment was on the valley floor, they were startled by some cannon shot. That shot... Gatling gun that followed announced the appearance of General Howard, who had finally extricated himself from the mountains. Now, i got another question for you, and that's where we're going to make this next week to finish it. How come the Indians didn't have scouts on the perimeter that could tell where the soldiers were coming in from? You know, I think they were just elated that they'd won a battle, and they thought they were okay. But you would have thought they would have left somebody behind to watch. Yeah. So, anyway, now we've got nearly 600 men. Cavalrymen, Howard prepared for a classic battle, uh, kind of like what you'd see at Gettysburg. But the Nez Perce had been caught with their guard down. They quickly recovered. Uh, they saw the troops skirting along uh, a, uh, a ravine into the valley. They instantly raced uh, towards uh, the the battle. They took strong positions and halted, stopped the soldiers. Now, we, I think that's a good place to draw a period right there. <laughs> okay. And I've got so many questions as to why they didn't have uh, basically outriders watch that it. would uh, watch and come screaming in the camp and yeah. say, the blue coats are coming. Yeah. So here we wow. are. We're at the Battle of the clear water. Clear I want to get battle. to that next week. And we'll start there next Ooh, week. That is interesting. But there's a lot of questions that a person would have as to why they let certain things happen. Yeah. And, and keep in mind, we're reading a history that's written by historians, you know, trying to gather information. Could and, be a lot of mistakes. So there's... Yeah. Yeah, there's some things here we don't know. Doctor History, you ought to do yourself. I just absolutely this infatuates me because then next week you can take it to where they really took off and tried to outrun the cavalry. Yeah. Okay. 